0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 146. It's titled, How to Optimize Your Purchases. I like cars. And I like to drive. I like exploring dirt roads in the mountains or meandering down a winding paved road in places I've never been. I love the feeling of acceleration when I hit the gas pedal and my back gets pressed against the seat. I like the speed. What I don't like about cars, I I don't like when they break. Growing up we had an old very old car car, a 1977 Dodge Aspid and when it broke It was really inconvenient because we had very little money and I didn't know how to fix cars. So there was a great deal of stress and emotional turmoil when our car broke because how are we going to get it fixed and how much would it cost? I kind of carried that feeling into adulthood. So in 2001, I bought a new 2002 Subaru WRX. I loved that car because it was fast and because it was new so it didn't break. Six years later, I didn't like the car quite so much. It was still fast, and it sometimes broke, but I discovered a new flaw. The car was noisy when you drove it. There was very little sound deadening material in the car, so I could hear a great deal of road noise. Now, I didn't realize the Subaru was noisy until after I rode in a BMW that a client of mine in San Diego owned. I remember when I was in his car, how solid the door felt when I shut it compared to my t- kind of tinny Subaru WRX. When I closed that door, it felt like the world or the noise of the world seemed to melt away. Princeton psychologist Edar Shafir in an essay in Edge wrote, Real world options like automobiles, houses, job offers, potential spouses all come in multiple attributes. How much weight we give each attribute is largely a function of where our attention is directed, our pet theories, what we expect or wish to see, the associations that come to mind. When a person is presented with a choice between options A and B, she chooses not between A and B as they are in the world, but rather as they are represented in her brain. And that representation is not a complete and neutral summary, but rather a selective and constructed rendering, a construal is what he calls it. Shafir also points out that we judge things in comparative terms, not absolute terms. I didn't realize that my Subaru was noisy until I compared it to a BMW. And I didn't begin to value a quiet ride and solid feel until I had experienced it. And the experience, frankly, left me a bit dissatisfied with my car choice, my Subaru WRX. So after riding in my client's car, I started thinking a lot about BMWs. As a teenager, as we dealt with these these peanut, the 77 Dodge Aspen, that was the color of peanut butter. It was the most tan car you could ever see. The inside was peanut butter color. The outside was tan. And it was so, so rusty. Meanwhile, my uncle drove a sleek silver BMW. I, I I thought he was rich. Well, I mean, I didn't know what rich was growing up, but he seemed like he was doing pretty well. He had his own apartments, so that, that apartment buildings, and he had hired somebody to manage them for him. So that that seemed like he was doing pretty well. He had his own real estate brokerage firm that my mom worked for in the late 70s, early 80s. But more important, the thing that struck me as why I thought he was doing so well is he owned his own gas station, where he could fill up his BMW. Now, in 2001, when I bought the Subaru, I didn't consider buying a BMW at all. We had three small children, a mortgage, an upcoming move to Idaho, and a BMW just just seemed out of reach. But by 2006, my adaptive preference toward a BMW had changed. What's adaptive preference? Well, Stephen Fuller, he's a philosopher, talked about this. He writes, an adaptive preference results when we bend aspiration toward expectation in light of experience. So we have aspiration, expectation, and those two in light of our experience. He says, we come to want what we think is within our grasp. I aspired to own a BMW because not only did it possess attributes that I desired, and had experience such as speed, quiet, and stability, Stability, but now it was even more appealing because I could afford it. It was in my grasp. Another interesting aspect of adaptive preference, according to Fuller, is we tend to downgrade the value of previously desired outcomes as their realization becomes less likely and upgrade the value of previously undesired outcomes as their realization becomes more likely. That's his quote. So for example, had I lost my job, I probably would have wanted a BMW less since it was no longer within my reach. I couldn't afford it. And I would have valued my Subaru much more, especially since it was paid for. But I hadn't lost my job, and I still aspired to own a BMW. So I leased a new 2006 BMW 5 Series. And as I expected, I liked the speed, the stability, the quiet, and the reliability. But there were several negatives that I hadn't even considered. First, after making car payments for a number of years, I didn't, or not making car payments for a number of years, I didn't like having to write out that $400 lease payment. That was the most I'd ever paid for a car in terms of a car payment. And it just—I I just didn't like doing it anymore. But more than that, I didn't like the image the car seemed to project. Now, I lived in Idaho at the time, and, and many of my neighbors and, and, and everybody in this small town drove extended cab pickup trucks, and my BMW pretty much cost as much as their extended cab pickup trucks, but in my mind, it felt showy. My car felt showy. It was as if I was telling the world, I'm the kind of guy that can afford to drive a BMW. And I didn't want to be that kind of guy. I just wanted a fast, quiet, reliable cars. When we buy things, there's a a trade-off. The trade-off's between the desired features, and, and there's also constraints, such as time and money. But more than anything, when we choose to buy things, we base it on how we believe those things will make us feel. Will they make us happier? And often, they don't. Seneca the Younger, the Roman Stoic philosopher who died in AD 65, wrote about this in letter 118. He wrote, "'Happiness is not, as men think, a greedy thing. It is a lowly thing. For that reason, it never gluts a man's desires. You deem lofty the objects you seek because you are on a low level and hence far away from them, but they are mean in the sight of him who has reached them.'" And I am very much mistaken if he does not desire to climb still higher. That which you regard as the top is merely a rung on the ladder. Now, all men suffer from ignorance of the truth, deceived by common report. They make for these ends as if they were good. And then after having won their wish and suffered much, they find them evil or empty or less important than they expected." Most men admire what deceives them at a distance. Often when we buy things, we think they will make us happy, but we end up feeling empty and unhappy as before we bought them. And Seneca realizes that. He says happiness is is a lowly thing. You don't need very much to be happy, but we always think, we aspire, and we think this thing, I just get this thing, it will make me much happier. Now, I wasn't unhappy driving my car, but it didn't necessarily make me happy either, although I did like it better than my Subaru because it was quiet and it didn't break. but it felt very, very awkward, as I mentioned whenever I saw somebody that I knew and they and they and I'm driving the car now, it was probably me I don't know i many of you maybe you have b m w s but it it was just something in my makeup I just felt pretentious driving a BMW. It was a negative. So that that aspect of it was a negative. Author Michael Shermer writes about negativity bias. Again, this is from Edge. So many of these, these things I've shared over the last few weeks came from these essays in, in Edge, which is an online magazine. They did a, a profile on the scientific term you think is just not well understood. And so Dozens and dozens of authors wrote essays, and it's been a great, great inspiration to me. And you can, and I'll link to that in the show notes, which you can get at moneyfortherestofus.net. Or while you're there, go ahead and sign up for my insider's guide, and I'll just email the show notes to you weekly along with a summary article. That's at moneyfortherestofus.net. Or if you're a U.S.-based listener, you can sign up for that insider's guide by texting the word INSIDER to the number 44222. So Shermer lists off a number of examples of why negativity bias is part of our nature, such as pain feels worse than no pain feels good. We see this in investing. When we suffer a loss in investing, the pain or regret we feel is greater than the joy or pleasure we get from an investment gain. We can pick out an angry face in a crowd easier and faster than picking out a happy face. Negative events lead us to seek causes more readily then do positive events, wanting to explain why the bad thing happened as opposed to the good thing happened. So there's there's many more books and analysis on war than there is on peace. There are more ways to fail than there are to succeed. He says, it's difficult to reach perfection and the paths to it are few, but there are many ways to fail to achieve perfection and the paths that way are many. We talked about that a little bit in episode 141 on the second law of thermodynamics and, and entropy, how the world is getting messy, so the, the paths to chaos are greater than the paths to perfection. And empathy, or personal empathy, is more readily triggered by negative stimuli than positive. We we identify and sympathize when other people are suffering or in pain. And finally, evil contaminates good more than good purifies evil. And an old Russian proverb that Schirmer quotes is a spoonful of tar can spoil a barrel of honey, but a spoonful of honey does nothing for a barrel of tar. So this negativity bias is one reason I just could never get over the sense of I was being pretentious and showy with my leased BMW. It, it pretty much more way more trumped the positives of, of the speed, reliability, durability. So when my lease was up, I sent the car back. And I just didn't own a fast car for a number of years until I found a way to adapt my preferences. I was willing to buy an old BMW, a, a two, and I bought one, a 2001 540i. This was probably 2010, 2011. I bought it for $9,000. And I was willing to, to trade off, willing to fix a car if it broke in exchange for getting rid of that, that feeling that I was being To showy. So, for for whatever reason, and and it's how my mind works, it's how my emotions work. So, I'm sure you're completely different. And I'm a little bit out to lunch, but for whatever reason, driving an old BMW felt less pretentious than driving a new one. So, I've kept that car seven years and and I've enjoyed it. It's now approaching 130,000 miles. I still own it. But what really prompted this episode is. How is it that I ended up right after Thanksgiving buying another car? This time, a 2013 fifty thousand dollar BMW 650i that brought back all the negative emotions that I had when I leased the earlier BMW, and and I've struggled with that. And I didn't even want to share this with you, but it it I did it, and I'm gonna explain why and and. <laughs> What I am doing about it to try to relieve the negative emotions I feel. I'll share that after the break. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. Choosing a car is an optimization problem. We, we, We weigh features, constraints such as money, time, positive and negative emotions, personal satisfaction versus concern for negative externalities, such as the impact on the car on the economy and global warming. Perhaps the choice is not to own a car at all, or in my case, to own a car and then try to drive it as little as possible by living in a neighborhood that's where we can walk to many stores and restaurants. I have thought about optimization a lot recently because On the way back from Salt Lake, as the Pearl and I had flown in from Mexico, we were driving and we listened to a podcast, a Tim Ferriss podcast, where he interviewed Mr. Money Mustache. And both Tim and Pete are both very much into optimization. And Pete, or Mr. Money Mustache, brought up the importance of eliminating negatives. And, And this really struck me as we think about we have a negativity bias and Negative things basically feel worse than positive things feel good. By eliminating negative things, we can increase our happiness. And Seneca talked about this. He gave the example of Epicurus, who Seneca describes as a teacher of pleasure. And what Epicurus would do, he would periodically not eat very much. He wouldn't completely satisfy his hunger. He would satisfy it in just eat. Low quality foods or very, very basic foods. And what he was trying to do, as Seneca puts, he wished to see whether he thereby fell short of full and complete happiness. And if so, by what amount he fell short and whether this amount was worth purchasing at the price of greater effort. By removing things, we can see, does it actually make us less happy or more happy? And if it actually makes us less happy, is it worth the effort to what it would take to, to, to try to get that happiness by, by fixing that, by, by buying that thing? So we saw this recently when we sold our farm. We're much happier in a smaller home. We like the walkable neighborhood, but there are some things that we don't like. LaPrelle doesn't like the cramped kitchen that we redid. She feels like we just didn't do as good a job as we could in, de- in designing that, or the cramped bathroom, or the very narrow driveway, and more than ever, what I found out, the single car carriage house garage. We have room for one car, barely. And that car was going to be my BMW 540i, my 2001 with 130 miles. But after Thanksgiving, a relative asked me, have you thought about selling that car? And I really hadn't, but he planted the seed. And, And one Saturday, I was bored for whatever reason, and I ended up at the BMW dealership, which is only about a half mile from my house, and there was this 650i. And in the back of my mind, I knew that my sons down in Provo, Utah, needed another car. So I thought, well, what? Maybe I should. Maybe I should just test drive it and, and see what I thought. Now, this optimization problem of buying a car and in many cases or anything justifying it. Here's how I justified this decision. It would actually having. Spent time calculating carbon footprints. I realized that owning this car and keeping it in my garage, only driving it when, when I needed to, and just the car itself had less of a carbon footprint than my my t- 2001. Just because of the emissions type stuff on the car, there was just less pollution. I wanted to help out the sales representative. I've known this guy for years, and I knew we got to talking about health insurance and, and the rise in health insurance prices. And and he's he dropped his health insurance this year because he couldn't afford it. I thought, well, I could help them out. I thought, well, the car's already used. I'm not making things worse from an environment standpoint by buying a new car. It's used, and it's a great deal. It's 50% off its original price. It's fast and stable. And the thought is, well, I'll, just, I'll buy it, and I'll keep it a long time like I've kept my my 2001 so i thought about it for a few days and i bought it because the barriers to buying it were pretty simple we've talked a lot about how money is digital we never actually see money it's just it's on a bank account it's on a spreadsheet and you just move it over and and voila there's a car and i bought it and and basically did exact opposite of what i teach on the show we want to maximize our well-being by the minimum of consumption. But it was so easy just to shift the money over and buy it because money is not physical. And I was reacquainted with this principle on the physicality of money when we were in Mexico. We were in San Cristobal de las Casas, and there are a lot of very, very poor people selling things. They're selling handcrafts, things that they've embroidered, clothing, and we, we, and they're really, really good salespeople. They're very, very persistent. I had one lady that she came up as I was sitting alone at the table. The pro had gone upstairs to the hotel, and she showed me this rosary that I had to get this rosary. She said she was poor. We have six kids, and look how great this rosary is. It's made out of glass beads, and she lit a lighter right by my Hand because I'm holding the rosary, showing that see, it doesn't melt. And I didn't need a rosary, I'm not a practicing Catholic, although it was pretty. And but I showed enough interest that she really wanted me to buy it. But I said, I only have 500 pesos, about 25, dollars and she wanted 250. And so she tried to get me to buy even more and more stuff. And she said, I'm poor, I need money for tortillas. And I said, Why I I need change if I can get change, I'll I'll buy it and I'll go get change. So, no, 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 you don't go get change. I'll get change for you. Here, I'll leave all my stuff with you and my daughter, who by then is three or four and sitting across from me at the table as her mom negotiates this transaction. And before I knew it, she went off the mom to go find change and and left me with all her inventory and her daughter as security and are just kind of it was, it was bizarre. So she comes back, says she couldn't get change. And so she wanted to give me more stuff. I said, here, just just take the 500 pesos. But they're really, really persistent. Well, earlier that day, there was about a 10-year-old girl that had come up to me and asked about, wanted to sell a wristband. And, and we, we negotiated and finally gave her 200 pesos for two wristbands. She was really, really happy. And then I watched her as she walked off. And, and she... Took that 200 pesos, and she smelled it. And and I asked her, does it smell good? And she says, yeah. And it's a physicality of money, which if I had paid cash, which I did, I didn't borrow to buy the BMW. But If I had to bring in that cash and put it down, I probably wouldn't do it. But I made the decision, and I bought it, and then... Getting into the garage was a terrible experience. Our garage is really, really small. It takes 10 minutes to get the car into the garage to get it lined up. And when we got back from Mexico, the the, the driveway was icy, and there's ice in the garage, and I'm trying to get it in, and the doors don't open all the way, and I, I dang the mirror a little bit, and I'm sitting there halfway parked in the garage, and I realize I don't really like the car that much. And I really, really hate how it makes me feel. Cause I still feel, I feel even more pretentious. And like, why in the world did I buy this car? I don't even need a car, but I bought it and I justified the decision. So I went back to the BMW dealership and I said, can you buy it back? <laughs> can you buy it back? And so they're working on a deal. And I thought, well, I'll, hopefully I'll sell it back until last night, I looked at the car and I see that not only did I ding the mirror, but I scratched the side panel and the bumper a little bit. And now my, my car, basically, I can't sell it back. So I'm kind of stuck with this car. And, and surprisingly, now that the car is damaged, it doesn't bother me as much. And why doesn't it bother me as much? That's that's adaptive preferences again. Fuller wrote, we tend to downgrade the value of previously desired outcome as their realization becomes less likely and upgrade the value of previously undesired outcomes as their realization becomes more likely. Suddenly, I can't sell my car back to BMW, and so it's out of my grasp, which means the car... I've adapted my preferences. Maybe it's not quite as bad, but I made a mistake. I did not optimize my purchase. Buying it didn't make me happy. In fact, I kind of feel bad because I did not maximize my, I didn't minimize my consumption, and it didn't maximize my well-being. But we still need to buy things. We need to recognize if we're going to optimize how we buy things, we need to realize buying things won't make us happy. And but we still need to buy things. So when we try buying things, we should buy things, buy fewer things that last longer, that can be maintained. Buying, buying used helps that. Julius, Juliet Shore in the book True Wealth talked about, you know, as a consumer, we need basically we need to invest as a consumer by buying fewer, more expensive items. And when we go about, we want things that are close to perfect and remain a close to a perfect fit over time. And so that takes time to do that, to achieve that match. I made the decision way, way too quick in terms of buying the car. I should have been much slower and, and not made an, an emotional decision. For for and, and my reasons were valid, but in the end, the negative emotions are greater, which means the way to optimize your, your buying decision is first – just try to eliminate negatives. If you feel compelled to buy something, try to eliminate something negative in your life, like Epicurus said. And if you pull back, then see what, how much less happy you are, or maybe you are happier. And, and then, do you want to actually take that additional effort and count the cost of doing it? And finally, it takes trial and error. I made a mistake. I admit it. I shouldn't have bought it. Now I'm kind of stuck with it, and 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 that's just the way it is. But it, it takes trial and error to find the right product for our current environment. And and at times, you know, an optimization problem, we, we have the perfect fit. Sometimes the environment changes and it's no longer what we need or want, and we have to make adjustments. So that is episode 146. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.net. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice, simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.